Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm Sal Interdonato. That's Steve Anderson. This is um, a very special edition of the Black Knight Nation podcast. It's number 100, Steve. We made it to triple digits on the Black Knight Nation podcast, and we couldn't have done it without our guest here today, um, Joe Ross. Joe Ross is president of Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon has sponsored this po- podcast pretty much from the jump. And Joe, we can't thank you. Uh, can't thank you so much for uh, sponsoring this podcast and then having you on, on the podcast for the first time here is also an honor for us because we got a lot to talk about with your um, your career as an Army football player and beyond that. So thanks a lot, Joe, for uh, joining us today. No, thank you for having me. And it's an honor to be able to support your podcast and you know share our, our stories from our Army brotherhood. So thank you for having me. And, and Joe, I was talking about this before you came on. You and Steve have something in common. You're both from the great state of Maryland, right? I mean, so yeah. we got the we got best a athletes come from the state of Maryland. That's all I can say. That's I used right. to have this argument with my teammates. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, so we usually start this podcast off of uh, how how your Army recruiting story, so to speak, and how you were recruited by Army, how you got to West Point. Um, you have a unique story, Joe, about how how you you first uh, got interested in the West Point and how you got there. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I got interested because they started recruiting me my junior year and, you know, out of all the schools recruiting me, army sent a letter or a postcard every single week. And I, I just thought that was very, very, uh, impressive. Uh, coach, coach Warner was the recruiting coordinator back then, you know, coach young was the head coach. Um, and coach Dornbosch ended up finishing the recruiting cycle, but they just, I mean, literally that was every week I got something in the mail and I, I was, I was just taken aback by it. Um, you know, also I, I played for a running team. You know, we played, we had a power eye offense. You know, I ran the ball probably 25, 30 times a game. And, you know, out of all the schools recruiting me, that was the running team. And I was like, okay, if I can still run the ball, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, you know, and I was lucky. I played for, I played for Wally Maley who played for the Green Bay Packers under Vince Lombardi. He he went to Syracuse as a quarterback and, and ended up playing defensive back for the Packers, probably only two years. And he moved into my area, my uh, sophomore high school. And he ended up being our, no, my, my freshman year of high school. But he ended up being our head coach for my last three years. And he was just a power offense guy. But he was he was big in the mental part of the game and all that stuff. So everything that I learned from the mental part of the game just transferred right into West Point, their center for enhanced performance and, and all that stuff. Uh, but he was a big part of it. You know, you know, he sent all the recruiting tapes out and said, hey, you know, this is how you do it. And, uh, you know, came down to the end. It was like Penn State, Syracuse, Army, the Navy, uh, Merchant Marine Academy, Ivy League schools. Uh, and it just came down to Army and Navy, and I, I went on a recruiting visit to both, and Navy, it just set me wrong because they are passing offense, and George Chump was the head coach, and he, he treated me like a chump, uh, versus Army, which was uh, just warm and welcoming, and I was like, hey, this is where I want to be. Joe, what, um, what high school was that that you played at? I played for Bishop Walsh High School in Cumberland, Maryland, so Western okay. Maryland, real far yeah. west. Yeah, yeah, no, I was talking to Sal about that. I, I, I said Eastern, but yeah, Cumberland's like the edge of Maryland. That right? little, little piece of Maryland between West Virginia and Pennsylvania. I can yeah, get yeah, yeah. five minutes. Yeah, when I drove, uh, when you drove, when I used to drive home from Fort Campbell and come through West Virginia into Maryland, that's right. I remember seeing. Uh, um, so you went on 68? Yep, went yep. to Cumberland, so. I'm just a little past that up in Frederick, so uh, just about another hour uh, east. So. What high school did you go to? Uh, I went to Damascus. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys played uh, our rival, Fort Hill, and Allegheny, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we played them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. the um, It's funny you mentioned uh, your high school coach being kind of the guy that set you on the pass, path for Center for Enhanced Performance because – uh, not the high school I graduated from, but the first high school I went to, um, that football coach was very big into, he would call it right visualization, but we know it is more as imagery, right? Bringing in all the senses, not just, you know, kind of watching it 
at go. And, um, you know, uh, Joe, you were, you know, you're the first guy that introduced me to it. Uh, when I got to the Academy at prep school, um, when I got to prep, you came down, uh, talked about it and it all sounded very familiar. Cause that's what my coach, uh, from my first high school preached. And it's what I hope to do after, uh, my KD time as a major is to go to school and, and, and get my sports psych degree. Um, you know, uh, but I've always, you know, with you, Major Chadwick and then Major Tillman now, I'm pretty sure he's Lieutenant Colonel. He might be a Colonel at this point. Um, both, you know, I worked in that, I worked in that, I would live there. You know, if I was, if I had a break in class, I went in there. So, uh, oh, yeah. Pretty cool. All the linebackers did. It was like linebacker you at center for enhanced performance. <laughs> the game within the game. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's so important because you get the, uh, just formation recognition and this seeing the first step, you know, once you understand the formation recognitions, I mean, that's huge for a defense. You know, this, you can just play so much faster. Yeah. I remember when we first started, it would, uh, you know, it, you know, you'd have a script, right. And you sit in your chair or, or whatever. And by the time I graduated, I mean, we had this big screen that had the formation on there. Um, and basically what I practiced was I would take my initial steps, right. And then, visualize imagine me making the play whichever way you know called out get set uh it's pretty cool how far um that's that the cep at west points come since i started oh yeah and really that's what i do today and we have a product called go army edge football the army made it that's why i left coaching to help them make it but it's a free uh football app where you can download it it's for high schools but college teams use it uh nfl teams use it um, but it's, it's taken the game to a whole nother level of, you know, just preparation. That's something you do. Army, army uses that Joe, don't they, or no? Uh, yeah, coach, coach Munkin and, uh, they've, they've always, they've been using it forever. Now, that's, I'm not, is it as far, that's more of the mental game. It's not so much analytics, is it, or no? Nothing to do with analytics. It's all this preparation. It doesn't replace practice. It doesn't, it's just, a, a, it's understanding the perfect play and, it's an easy way to, to draw up what right looks like. And like, like Steve was saying, just to get extra mental reps of what they're going to see that week. Nice. Well, um, if we can, if we can go back to your, now, now uh, you're committing to army, right? What's the early, what's early football, um, your early football career, like at West point, um, you know, coming in as a freshman, how, how does that shake out uh, at the beginning, at the beginning there? So I went to the prep school. So uh, as I was getting recruited, I was offered a you're like your borderline. You could go direct or you could go prepster. Um, I said, well, what's this prepster thing? And they explained it to me. And in my mind, I was like, I get an extra year of football. Like, I want to do that. Like, let me go. Let me go to do that. Um, and it was at Fort Monmouth at the time. And so made the team. And I was the uh, I ended up they recruited me as a fullback. Um but within the first game of prep school, first, second game, I got moved from fullback back to uh, running back because I was like a tweener. Um, I really didn't have the size as a prepster or, uh, you know, plea the play fullback. And then my speed was probably like just a hair too slow to play slot back. So I was like a tweener. Um, so anyway, uh, first two games. Fullback, I was like second second team fullback. They moved me to running back. I was a starting running back for the rest of the year, and I ended up being the team captain of the prep school and uh, offensive MVP. And then um, went to uh, plebe year, and um, I was able to make the varsity as a plebe. I think I only played one scout team play ever in my career. Wow. And then uh, I was third or second or third team running back. Again, same thing. Started at fullback, like within the first week, and they moved me back to running back. Uh, and I played special teams. I think I played in seven of eleven games on special teams. My play here, kickoff wow. return. Yeah, and so as that progresses, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, like by the time it's your sophomore year, you, you get moving up the depth chart. And then, um, what, what do you think? Um, what was the? What was the? I mean, we talk about brotherhood a lot right uh about the army program what was that like back then what was the camaraderie like between uh the team because that's when army was um they, they were definitely uh, solid but they were building to something special and in, in that i know i know your last year was 94 but you had some really good teams and you had some really good 
games too against some really top opponents. So what what was the what was the camaraderie amongst the team back then? Is it just kind of is it similar to what it is now? You think or? Oh, my opinion, the brotherhood's the same throughout the history of Martin football. I don't think it ever changes, and I don't think it. I don't think the wins and losses ever matter. Uh, I think the experiences you face as an Army football player it's very similar. I think X's and O's uh, kind of impact the the wins and losses. I think luck impacts the wins and losses. Uh, you know, my four years were under Bob Sutton. You know, Coach Young had just retired. My plebe year was uh, Coach Sutton's first year. And uh, I always say, you know, we were very good and we were very tight knit. Um, and you can, so for example, like I said, so I, I'm a plea, we're in summer practices, I'm up with a varsity and um, we run an ISO play and I, I block the full, I block one of the linebackers who's a senior. And, you know, next thing I know, he's, he's wailing on me. And Steve Shalute is the, one of the offense linemen. He's a senior, I'm a plea, but he comes in and just knocks the guy out. The rest of the linemen come out and go, you leave our running back alone. You know, I'm a plebe. I'm like shocked. Like, what are you talking about? I kind of like move in the back of the pile as they're fighting. <laughs> and uh, we'll get in the huddle and shoot. has got, I got your back. I'm like, whew, thank goodness. But I remember the next day in film, Coach Seymour's like, Joe, like, this is great poise. Like, you didn't fight back or anything. I'm like, I, I was shocked that the guy's hitting me because I blocked him. <laughs> my, my hair hasn't even grown back from – Basic yeah. training, coach. Like, give me. A, yeah. I, gotta get some, I gotta get some time under my belt. Can we reveal who the linebacker was, who the, who the defensive player was, or no? Uh, it was Beatty. I think it was Scott Beatty. I think, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, that's the, a good uh, introduction, right? And that's um, you know, it, it's funny because uh, you can be. And I'm sure those guys were probably really close friends. Um, you know, oh, yeah. outside the game, but when it it's funny when you do those when that happens, the offensive lineman's always reaction is to protect their offense, not their friend on the other side of the ball. Um, right. And that's you know, it, like you said, that's what you know. That's why I loved having Ted Bentler on my side because I always oh, yeah. knew, I always knew I was safe no matter what with, with Teddy. <laughs> See, Teddy needed the today's rule so he could play the whole time. Yeah, I know. No. I know, man. That we lost him on our. Uh, you know, it would have been his his super senior year that he just right. got denied. So for ridiculous, he should have been. They should have waived him. But um, yeah. one question I always like to ask, uh, Joe, is right. You're a plebe. You got those guys you look up to. Those guys that you know, not that they're untouchable, but they're your captains, or maybe they're their informal leaders. Where it's like, man, that guy, I, I will follow that guy um anywhere and I'm um I'm sure you have those guys but what was it about that culture when you were an underclassman and who did you look up to or try to emulate as you um you know became the upperclassman and, and the starter throughout your career yeah like I said so my plebe year I thought the seniors did a great job of holding the team together because we could have been very very successful we, we ended up being four and seven but you could have easily been seven and four because Willie McMillan gets hurt our second game of the year. And when we lose him as the quarterback, you know, Coach Shutton had to shuffle a lot of the, the, the pieces around and it just didn't take. Um, but those guys kind of led the way and showed us what brotherhood was about and, you know, loving and, and caring for each other. But as you know, you're in your sophomore year, now you've been there a year, uh, you, you understand like, okay, here, here's how we're going to compete. And I'll never forget, um, we called it the Dirty Dozen, and Mike McArath was going to be a senior. And really, he led the way. Like, I wanted to be like Mike, the way he led the team. He was always positive. He was always optimistic. In the weight room, like, you're, you're lifting until you throw up. But he was cheering you on and um, the way he handled practices. Uh, but him and his other seniors, and there was only a few seniors left, uh, that that core, that core group, maybe, maybe nine, ten seniors of that class. But they did the dirty dozens, and it was him. He took it to Coach Sutton. And we got up every morning for 12 straight weeks at 5 a.m., and we go to Arvin Gym. And we do these crazy workouts uh, for an hour before we went to school. And this was like January through March before spring ball. And it was 12, dirty dozens for 12 weeks for, you know, 11 games and then the bowl game. And uh, it, just, it just created a sense of belief. And we firmly believe no matter what the situation was, we were going to win. 
And you, you fast forward to the Army Navy game my sophomore year. You know, I think we're losing 17 7, you know, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. But I can tell you to a man, no one doubted that we were going to not win the game. Like everyone believed we were going to win the game, even though we're down, right? And there's only eight minutes left. I mean, the, the belief on the sidelines was just so intense. But that was from all season, starting from January of Mike McGrath and that senior class just instilling in us that, hey, no matter what the odds are, we're, we're going we're gonna to win this game. And we came back and won. And uh, I think we won 24, 22, 20. I forget the score. But that's where, uh, you know, Malcolm uh, uh, hit those two field goals at the end of the game. And, you know, Roper had a bootleg and Gaylord Green caught the long pass. I mean, that, that senior class was just amazing. But, you know, every class adds something different. Uh, but that's what I remember is, you know, Mike McGrath and Gaylord Green and all those guys setting the tone of belief. Um, you know, my freshman year was, you know, you know, Shalud and, you know, uh, all those guys that, you know, set the tone for, you know, brotherhood and, and coming together and, you know, carrying each other through. Because we had too many injuries my, my freshman year. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful thing you talk about because um, I remember my freshman uh, and sophomore year, it was almost the exact opposite where it was almost like we were expecting to lose the game. You know, you like you said on the sideline, uh, there was there was never a doubt. Nobody ever. It, it's a it's it's not only just like someone telling you that. It's a feeling, right? Like it's you can feel it on the sideline when teams believe they can win, and when they're like, you know, I, I think one of the sayings was, uh, "Oh, here we go again." Whenever we you know we got up or we lost a lead or whatever, um, it was something we battled. Um, you know, I would like to believe. We got away from it, you know, my senior year, but I still remember like having to, you know, get into guys about what we're doing here, what the belief needs to be um, on the sidelines, because I could start to feel people doubt that, you know, we could still win the game. Um, so I can't when you talk about that is your experience as a as a young guy, how that feeling and how essentially what right feels like uh, it's gotta be awesome to carry that throughout your career as, as they kind of pass the torch to you as you, as you become an, an upperclassman. Yeah. And I, and I thought you guys did a pretty good job your senior year of believing and, you know, uh, and fighting through some different adversity. I mean, it's very similar, but you're right. You know, as my, my junior and senior year, that belief, you know, stood with us. And really my senior year was kind of the, the opinion of what, was almost a replay of my freshman year where we were devastated with injuries. You know, we lost Roper. You know, he started for 22 straight games as quarterback. We lost in the sixth play of our you know, first game of our senior year. And then, then I think we uh, the next game we lost, the second stream, Mike Nikovic. And then uh, Carpenter came in and, um, it, you know, it didn't work out with Carpenter. And then, you know, we finally, you know, Ronnie McAdoo was number four, fourth on the depth chart. So by the third game, we're playing with our fourth string quarterback, uh, and we had like 18 starters that were injured that year. And same thing, you know, ended up four and seven, but you know, if those injuries don't happen, I think we're seven and four. It flips it. Uh, and we had a lot of games like Louisville, we were down and we ended up winning 29, 28, the last second touchdown. Just, you know, just belief, you know, army Navy game, same thing. Um, just the, the belief that we we're going to be in every game. And out of those seven losses, I think it was a total of like 10 points. It was, it was close every game. Uh, but I know when I talked to Ben Kawika and, you know, Ronnie Makeda and, you know, those guys from the 97 team that won 10 and two, they always say, Hey, Joe, it's like the belief and work ethic you guys instilled in us as your senior year, you know, when we were sophomores, because all other sophomores had to play, uh, you know, they, they give us credit for that. And, you know, and then they pass it down. It just keeps getting passed down. Yeah. Um, we've had, we've had uh, both those guys on here. Um, obviously, you know, Coach K, uh, you know, still one of my mentors to this day. Coached me at prep school, and uh, we, Ronnie Makeda's uh, when he was on here, he's telling the same thing. He told us Rober got hurt, and next thing he knew, he was he was in the game with like another yeah. injury, and he was like, "Oh, sh like, uh, all right, well, here we go." And then he, you know, he never left. So uh, it's like you said, it's crazy how those things happen and how the trajectory of a season can go. Um, did you guys keep the the dirty dozen thing going 
was that something that left with Mike or was yeah, he the only one crazy uh, enough yeah. that was going to make you guys do it? <laughs> so I'm starting to try to do something different every year. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was sophomore year. I can't remember what we did in my uh, junior and senior year, but every year he did something different and around that theme, you know, either fight team win or pride poise team, you know, dirty dozen, and, you know, coach, I coach, I thought coach Sutton was, did a really good job of, you know, instilling the emotional and mental toughness in us uh, by always bringing in different aspects, you know, the way he talked to us uh, before practice, after practice, before games, after games, um, he always had a, uh, a motto or a saying and something to hang our hat on. You know, I think it was like most desperate team wins. You know, when you're desperate, you're, you're going to, when you're backs against the wall, are you going to claw, fight, kick, um, you know, game of inches? You know, he always had really, really good um, analogies that, that to the rally the team around. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Joe, so senior year, the two captains of the army football team, your senior year are yourself and Pat work, right? Um, and you just talked about some of the adversity you guys had to fight through with injuries and stuff. But at you know the final game of the season is Army Navy, right? And I'm sure you want to end your your um, college career on a high note, and you guys certainly did by beating them. That's I don't, I don't know if that stands as as one of the high a highlight in your in your career because you were named um, the hero of the game for that game too. Uh, the, I guess that was kind of the MVP, so so to speak, back then or now. Uh, I'm assuming. That, I mean, I don't know if there was an MVP or not, but. Uh, yeah, that was a great game. It was awesome. You know, for me playing in the service guy in the game, I felt like I always played my best football, but it was always like, I felt like I was playing in my backyard with my bunch of friends and you just wanted the game just to keep going. And you, you know, the crowd just quieted away. Like it's just silent. I just, it was just a fun game back and forth. Um, and I don't know. I was always, I was very well prepared for army uh, Navy and Army Air Force games. And I seemed like I always played some of my best games those games. Was there a difference for you when you played Navy than you than when you played Air Force? It seems like that that's the, you know, the attitude with a lot of the players that Navy is the game and Air Force, you know, is the team that's, you know, the the third brother so to speak. But was there was there a difference when you played those teams or Um that's a good question. I hated Air Force uh, because I thought they were so cocky. And my plebe year, we played at Air Force. And I never forgot why we were stretching. Like, they ran over top of us and spit on us. And um, this just ate in my head for four years. Uh, so it was just like an angst. Like, okay, I don't like them. Where, you know, Navy, I, I more respected um, – because you know, I think we we respected each other as you know service academies and how we played the game and and so forth. Did uh, you say the way they, I played and the way that prepared was the same? Did you say they ran over Toppy and spit on you guys? Yeah, so they're running on the field like we're already in the corner stretching. Like yeah, yeah. And as they're running on the field, you know, like they're you know, and maybe because I'm a plea with my first experience, I was like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty unanimous across the board. Whenever we talk to guys who have you know, had, uh, you know, had experiences with Army and Air Force or Army and Navy uh, and Air Force and Navy and, and all the, the combos. Um, universally, it's pretty much like, you know, just don't I really just hate Air Force. It's not that I, you know, it's not it's not that I don't like Navy as much. It's just I hate Air Force and Navy. I have a mutual respect for it. It's just it's interesting, you know, same kind of deal. You know, and it's like these stories that you hear all the time from Air Force. It's like they're cocky or they do something disrespectful where I never really experienced that um, uh, from, you know, Navy players. So it's just kind of yeah. it's it's just kind of interesting how, you know, you know, Joe, we're we're, you know, almost 20 years apart. Um, and, um, you know basically is you know 15 years apart and i had pretty similar uh interactions with both those teams so yeah yeah so um joe maybe we can slide to um life after uh west point for you um and the, the military side first and w w what you did after uh you know what you did after west point uh where you were serving and some of the some of the memories there yeah so i stayed as a graduate assistant coach 
uh, as actually a graduate assistant strength coach uh, right after graduation. Um, and then I went infantry. So I went to uh, IOBC down at Fort Benning, Ranger School and all that stuff. You know, Rick Roper was also infantry and he stayed as a graduate assistant. So it was odd, you know, Rick and I, first guy, one of the first guys I met at prep school, you know, we we're both prepsters. You know, our lockers were next to each other for four years. Uh, we we coached together. We went IOBC together. We were in airborne school together, ranger school together. Our first duty station is at Fort Hood together. Um, and then we go to Fort Campbell together. <laughs> so Rick and I were together for like our first first, first 15 years. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> that's, um, that's incredible. Oh, no. It's it's weird. That's got to be one. I mean – that's got to be 0.05%. I'd be I'd be interested to see who who out there and I'll put it up I'll put it up on here. If there's any army football out players out there that started prep school or even just plebe year and went through all the way through two duty stations, please let me know because I want to know this percentage because I think we have I think there's only one. That's the only one I've heard of. Yeah. So, you know, Rick and I have known each other for 32 years, and I think we've, you know, you know, been around each other for 23 of those, maybe 24 of those. 30. Yeah. He works for me now. He's worked for me for seven years. So as soon as he retired in 2015, I hired him. So uh, it's uh, – You had to, right? You had to. So. Yeah, I had to. I told him to search for other, for other jobs before, you know, he got the automatic hire. But, uh, but, no, so that was my career. So I was infantry, 101st, Fort Hood. Uh, deployed to Kosovo when 9-11 happened. So I didn't know about 9-11 for three days because we were, we were doing our own thing. Um, and then I came back, got my master's degree at Springfield College, taught at West Point, And then I was medically retired. I had some injuries that were just catching up to me and I, I couldn't, I couldn't do the infantry thing anymore. So after 14 years, I was medically retired and I got a job in Connecticut selling internet marketing for a company called Fine Law. I did that for nine months, and Coach Ellison got hired. I threw my name in the hat to see if he would hire me, and he hired me to be the special teams coordinator. So I did that for three years. Um, but then what, what I was – I was unsure what I wanted to do with my life. So right before I threw my name in the hat, I actually started my Ph.D., and I started higher echelon with my business partner. So on the side, we started higher echelon. And um, I was working on my PhD and then I got hired to do the football thing. So this thing, so I'm coaching football, I'm working on my PhD and I'm starting a company. So all, all three at once. And it was all, you know, nights and weekends, that kind of stuff. It was a slow, slow process. But, at, you know, after going into 2012, you know, we built this quarterback simulator, you know, for our, our quarterbacks, we we're having great success. And that's when the army came to me and said, Hey, like we, this quarterback simulator is awesome, but do you think we could build an app to give the high schools for free. And the reason the army was interested was we've been at war for 10 years and we had um, almost a thousand high schools, restricted high schools, like uh, recruiters weren't allowed in the high schools. So we needed to create a carrot on the stick to see, okay, if we have something, will they let them in? And their idea was football app because they wanted those type of recruits. So within, I said, I do it. And I, I moved to Huntsville. We made this app. We released it in 2014. The, within a month of we releasing it, one of the biggest restricted high schools set up a, uh, uh, a, a workshop conference and they invited 400 coaches, invited the recruiters in. So it was success. And uh, so from that moment on, we, we built football apps, soccer apps, uh, periodic table apps, anatomy apps, anything to help the recruiter get into the school. And it's been very successful. Wow. Yeah, because uh, how much – you said you were also – Steve knows from the Center of Enhanced Performance, you were also involved there for what, like six years, I think, or five or six years doing that. So, I mean, yeah, that's five, where yeah, – for five years. Oh, five years, yeah. So, so that's where – Oh, wait. Gotcha. That's where you kind of also built that relationship and see what – as far as – that. that's where the app kind of – also gets started too. just the ideas there we're dealing with like cadets there too, or now? Well, the idea is really, you know, my, my whole career has kind of been tied together through army football. Army football kind of like is the thread that just keeps happening, you know, from me being recruited and, and coach Maley to me playing and, you know, using the center for enhanced performance and, and uh, Lewis Choka, Colonel Choka, 
yeah, he started it. And then, um, you know, when I became a lieutenant at Fort Hood, I would use some of the positive psychology with my, my soldiers and, you know, some of the lessons I learned. Very basic. But really, I mean, the, the, I have very distinctive memories of certain things happening that's all tied together. And um, it first started when I took command, the 101st, Bob Kaslin, so the soup, General Kaslin, was my, my boss. He was our Colonel Kaslin. I was his brigadist one, and then I, I took command. And he called me into his office. And he says, Joe, you're taking over the best war fighting company in the, in the brigade and most likely the division. He goes, they're the best physically, tactically, technically. Um, and he paused for a long time, and he goes, but. He goes, they've been led by fear, and if you go, if you deploy and your leadership dies, your company is going to come to a halt fix it. So that was my guidance. So I walk out of his office and I'm thinking, man, best tactically, physically, what am I going to do? And all I could think of was the Center for Enhanced Performance. So I called back to Doc Z. You know, I'm a young captain and I haven't, you know, I hadn't seen Doc Z in five years. And I said, hey, I'm about to take command. Can you just give me a laundry list of things to do as a leader? And he gave me like a hundred things to do. And I just slowly incorporated all those things into what I was doing as a leader. Uh, and we were getting ready to deploy. So we had six months to get ready. And um, and literally my first six months of command were miserable because I'm doing things that are so unique to a, a typical army unit. Um, but the light bulb went off about six months into it. And really we were getting ready for end of building clear room. And we, we are terrible. And I made everyone sit down and I just walked them through an imagery session like Steve was talking about. And I, I read them the the uh, SOP for interviewing clear the room. And I said, now go do it again. And their performance went from here to here, like in one instance. So now all the NCOs, all the soldiers are believing in everything I tell them. So, that, you know, and with the way we train for attention control and just different things, you know, it was all mental and emotional. So fast forward, ironically, I finished command and I went back to get my master's. Now, that was luck because West Point called Roper to be the instructor and his timeline didn't work out. And I just happened to be in his office when they called him. So he handed me the phone and I was like, Oh yeah, I can do it. So get my <laughs> master's. I do it. I do my master's in like 15 months. I show up the West point and my first day on the job, the guy I'm replacing uh, major Greg Rebello, he hands me this memorandum from general Sasecki that says, operationalize the warrior ethos. And there's some other words in there. I read it. I looked at him and I said, I know how to do this. And he goes, no one knows how to do this. I go, I know how to do this. I just did this for two years at the 101st. We deployed, we kicked butt and I know how to do this. So I wrote a hundred page white paper of how to do it. And I didn't know like, okay, what do I do with this hundred page white paper? And I knew it had to be tied to simulation, right? And uh, because soldiers weren't just going to take lessons and, and sit in a workshop, how can you connect the eight battle drills to, um, you know, seeing it on a simulator, but also coaching them the mental skills at the same time. So Steve, just like you used to go to CEP, you come in the room and I would teach you how to breathe and, you know, the, the, the confident thoughts, the self-awareness thoughts, the attention control, but while you're watching film, right? So you're doing it at the same time. So same, same thought process. So uh, Casey Wardinsky, Colonel Wardinsky, is working in this program called OEMA, Office of the Economic Manpower Analysis. And, um, and I, now I have no idea this is at West Point. So I call this number because I found this thing called America's Army. And he answers it. And I'm like, hey, sir, I got this idea. I'd like to throw it by you. And, uh, and his first answer was, hey, hey, dumbass, do you know what area code you just called? 845? He goes, I'm right across the street. Why don't you just come across the street and talk to me? I'm like, okay. So I walk <laughs> over. I, I show him my plan. He goes, hey, this is good. He goes, you need to brief the G1 of the Army. I'm like, the G1 of the Army? He goes, look, anything outside of West Point goes to the G1. And the West Point is strictly academics and sports. Anything military-related reports to the G1. So that was the first lesson. He says, you got to talk to this guy named Buster Hagenbeck. He's the G1 of the Army. I'm like, Okay. I said, how am I going to meet him? He says, well, 
he's going to be up here next week and you're going to show up at the fair hotel and you're at 5 a.m. and you're going to sit outside the elevator. And when he comes down, you're going to ask for five minutes of his time. And I go, are you serious? He goes, I'm dead serious. If you want this to go and get passed, that's what you're going to do. So me being a dumb captain, I'm like, all right. Elevator so, pitch. What's that? It's an elevator pitch. That's yeah. what they gave you. So I show up. I'm there at 5. He finally comes down at 7 a.m. He comes off the elevator. I'm like, sir, can I get five minutes of your time? Now, he recognized me with – so this is where football comes in. He recognized me because of football. He goes, oh, Joe, I remember you. He goes, yeah, let's go back here in the back room. I'm like, sir, here's a, we've been talking about operationalized, operationalizing the war ethos. Here's my plan or my idea to operationalize it. I said, we need to replicate what West Point has, the Center for Enhanced Performance, but it needs to be for the whole Army. And this is how we're going to do it. And I had the budget. I had everything. And he goes, Joe, this is really good. He goes, can you come to the Pentagon tomorrow to brief this to the uh, – to our uh, Council of Colonels and General Officer Steering Committee. And I'm like, what? Tomorrow? He's like, yeah, come tomorrow. He goes, my, my aide's going to send you an operational needs statement. Fill it out. It's one page. Send it back in. Get on a plane. Show up, and you'll brief everyone. Now, he made it sound really easy, right? And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So I go back to my boss. I tell him, and my boss is like, you're dumb. Like, you're an idiot. Like, there's no way you're going to go to the Pentagon and brief all these people. I'm like, Sir, the general told me I got to do it. Do I got permission? You're like, go ahead. So I said, look. So I walk into the Pentagon. I get lost. I dip into a bathroom to try to get my bearings. Guess who's in the bathroom? General Hagenbeck. And General Hagenbeck goes, Joe, I'm glad you made it. Let me give you some advice. He goes, you're going to get your ass kicked today because you're bringing an idea that no one knows of or has even heard of. He goes, I'm going to give you some advice. Whatever happens, don't quit. Put your head down like you're a full bat and just keep running and keep running and keep running. I'm like, all right, sir. Now, at the time, I didn't know what he meant. But as I was going through the process, it, my, my brain quickly caught on. So first briefing, I get I get F-bombed by every recurrent in the room. Tell, tell me how dumb my idea is. <laughs> I mean, it's worse. And I'm sitting at a position of attention. And the, the colonel in charge, Colonel Averill, he says, all right, Captain Ross, I guess uh, you're done here. No, sir, I'm not. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean, no, sir? He goes, everyone just F-bombed you like a dumb idea. I go, well, sir, apparently I didn't brief this well enough, and I heard everyone say I should have staffed this correctly. I request permission to staff this with all the agencies so that I can you know, give an information brief back to the general who invited me down, General Higginbeck. He, he drops his pen. He's like, do you know what you just asked? Yes, sir. I, I, I think so. He goes, all right. Tell your boss that you're not coming back to West Point for six weeks. You're going to staff this thing. I'm like, all right. So I, I stayed in a hotel for six weeks. I hit every agency. You know, and you get, like, everyone protecting their brother and every major who thinks they're they're so much tougher than a captain. And they're, they're like the gatekeeper. But you get to the the, the – the general officer, you get to the SES, and they're just diary of the mouth. They, they love the idea. So I'm taking notes. Put a new brief together. Brief it. It's a good brief, but they're still F-bombing me saying, hey, this is never going to pass. So I'm like, so what am I going to do now? So I said, all right, sir, since I was invited down for the general from by General Hagenbeck, I request permission for an information brief only to the general officer steering committee, which is the G3, G1, you know, all the generals. Three-star general. He drops his pen again. Captain Ross, you're wasting everyone time. Why do you want to do this? I go, sir, it's just an information brief. I go, this is so they know. Now, if Hagenbeck doesn't see me in the bathroom, I don't do any of this. So the next day, I have to come in. I get 10 minutes. And I brief. And, and it's my worst performance of my life. I'm stuttering. It's terrible. I can't talk. Like I can't even get my ideas across. And uh, the same colonels that have been F-bombing me the whole time I'm there, they stand up and they start F-bombing me again. And General Lovelace swings his chair around and goes, Colonel, why don't you sit down? Captain Ross is the first person to give us any idea of how to operationalize the word ethos. No one else has done it for two years. And we're going to try this plan out. Swings back around. Captain Ross, you get one year to test it out. You get $1.6 million to do a pilot 
at wherever you choose and you come back and report it. I'm like, cool. And Steve Carpenter was with me, right? He was working on the Center of Performance. So I go back, I tell Steve, we got, we're going to get the money. And, he, and Steve's like, oh, oh, you know what we got to do? I'm like, what? Because we got to treat this like yingling beer. I'm like, yingling beer? What are you talking about? He goes, yingling beer is only in Pennsylvania. He goes, we're in our army that everybody wants it if they get it. And all at the same time, we go, special forces. I'm like, all right. So we call down the uh, 18 Airborne Corps and we get the special forces. We tell them we got money. We just need a footprint. We just need to use it. And they're like, are you guys serious? We're like, yeah, we're dead serious. So we fly down there. We, we, we talk to them. They decide to do it with us. And, um, you know, we do it for a year. It's successful. And then we do it uh, for Jackson, Walter Reed. That's successful. And then the Army rolls it out to uh, 18 locations. Uh, and then I ended up, you know, medically retired. So that was my last three years in the Army, just doing all that stuff. So that's how the Army got involved with mental and emotional performance and pulling uh, simulation into it. That's how I got involved in the Army doing it. Joe, what did they originally? What did they originally? What did they originally call it? What did you call it down in Special uh, Forces? We called it the Army Center for Enhanced Performance, and then in 2009 they changed their name to Comprehensive and Soldier and Family Fitness. Fitness. Yeah, and what happened was, so you had two programs. You had one program focused on performance that was 06 to 09. In 09 they started the resiliency program. But they needed the bodies to teach it. So all the sports psychologists that were doing the Army Center for Enhanced Performance started teaching resilience. And then 2012, that was the other piece. The Army also asked me to come back and do a strategic analysis of that program while I was doing the football app, which I did. And then in 2012, they combined programs under this Comprehender Soldier and Family Fitness, which changed names to Radium Resilience, which I think changed the names again. No, I, I think it's still, you know, we have the Army Wellness Centers um, yeah. is what it's they go that. under. But it's um, it's the R2, right? It's the R2 that's yeah, all R2. over. It's the current day R2. and uh, But then I, you, got whole, you got holistic health and fitness, too. So that's going to that's probably going to be the new domain that umbrellas yeah. it all. Well, they eventually want to get um, all these people down to, you know, everybody gets one, right? At Instead of, like, soldiers having to go to these centers they want to embed these centers within each brigade or each battalion whatever however many they can get right so you have your sports psychiatrist or psychologist you have your physical trainers your personal trainers yeah you, you know your holistic thing Which is, is i think uh, that's where we're going it's like a college football team right you got yeah. you know your athletic trainers you got your nutritionists you got your sports psychologists right. you got your strength coaches so it's, it's replicating what you know special forces did special forces got more sophisticated with Thor three and POTIF. So the army's copying that. Now I agree with their format of the brigade with the, uh, you know, pulled into the lifting and all the workouts. Because in my opinion, you can learn the mental and emotional uh, traits and skills while you're working out, while you're lifting, while you're running, uh, because it is, a, it's a skill and that's the best way to do it. But you also can pull in simulation and imagery and, and apps. And that really helps supplement because you can't hire enough nutritionists and hire enough sports psychologists. So you use those kind of things to help buffer. So you don't have, you know, thousands and thousands of contractors running around these gyms. Yeah. Joe, it's so funny. You talk about how it all kind of goes back to army football because as a, as a young Lieutenant, right. The, um, you know, we did gunnery, right. And gunnery, I had the R2 center build scripts and we did our chair drills, but we did it with Bradley music we did it with or Bradley sounds. We did it with, um, uh, we would put, um, kind of like dust around us. Right. We try to incorporate all the imagery. So my guys would go out and when they actually shot gunnery, they've been there before they've done it before. Mm -hmm. They've seen the targets. They understand it. Um, likewise when, and this was probably, you know, however you want to call it, this was probably one of the most, you know, proud moments I had as a young lieutenant, right, is I used to film our guys do the drills, mm -hmm. right? And when guys would tell me, no, 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 I, you know, I did do that, sir. I'm like, all right, well, the, you know, it got to a point where I was able to get approved that to have a drone overhead. I stayed below like a hundred feet or whatever it was back then. And I got to film them moving through the woods and they're, 
their abilities to either, you know, shoot and move at the same time. And, and when did we call up? And I was able to, you know, basically time out when they made calls with where the film had it at the timeline. Um, and guys would say, no, sir, we, you know, we did that. And I'd be able to go, the eye in the sky don't lie, guys. All right. The eye in the sky does not lie. And that's what yeah. Coach Lyles used to always say. Um, Mr. Coach Sadat used to always say in the film room. I'm like, nah, I had it. And well, I, they'd look at the, they point at the film and be like, Steve, Fitty, the, the eye in the sky don't lie. You did not do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I meant to do it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, being an Army officer is just like being a football coach, right? Yep. And you're, as an Army officer, your players are the eight battle drills. Right. Um, and, you know, you got your defense, you got your offense, you know, you got your special teams. It all is all the same. And then how you train them, you know, the eye in the skies, the simulation, the mental. It's so, so it's, football is the closest thing to being a, a soldier and being in combat. It's, it's the closest thing. And um, that's why, you know, the Army football app, you know, we want football players in our Army. We want athletes in our Army. Um, so uh, I, I hear Man, you. Yo, it's, it's, it's so incredible to hear this kind of you know, come from you. Cause I always knew you were involved in CEP and I always knew, um, you know, you, you had kind of this, like this niche um, for the, the R2 center, but I never knew it got that intense that quick just from, you know, an elevator pitch <laughs> to, to general Hagenbeck. I didn't know. Uh, I actually didn't know until now who the officer was. You briefed. I heard the story of you briefing a geo at, at the Thayer, but I never, never knew who it was or his ties um, or how you got to the Pentagon, how you got this ball rolling. So that's really, that's got yeah. intense. It got intense real quick, which is, uh, you know, as an army football player, you don't mind, you know, you don't feel the heat. You're just like, Hey, I, I got an idea. Um, and that's probably like you said, everyone always talks about, you know, you, you always hear, you know, cadets ask, you know, what can I do to prepare myself? To be, to be an infantry officer, to be a field artillery officer. And uh, Colonel Polka told us that when we were young uh, young football players, he was like, "The what you get out of Army football will prepare you better than any class you sit in um, or, or any training event you do uh, during your time at West Point. And I, I mean, it's – I held it. It's, Everything it's I held learned Army football, you know, from leadership to how you train to – how you get them ready mentally, emotionally to, you know, how you think outside the box, you know, how you adjust, how you adapt. You know, Army football is the biggest. And how you finish, you right, Joe? Yeah, how you finish. How you finish yeah. is, is you know, yeah. it's it, it, that's that to me is one of those intangible stick-to-itness things like yeah, you, uh, you could you could have easily gone back to West Point after your Pentagon briefing and been like, yeah, yeah. man, they didn't like it. Sorry, guys. We hey, we'll be champions. You know, can you stick it out? You know, grit it out. It's an awesome story. Another, uh, you know, you know, I wrote the Soldier's Creed too. Seventy percent of it. No, I didn't know that. In two thousand four, so that was kind of the beginning. So in two thousand four, I got to be on um, this think tank down at Fort Benning, and they're talking about changing because you know we just started. You know, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, and Iraq. We're like one year into it. You know. Really, we didn't have a mindset that we were warriors. We had, you know, we're in the infantry. We got transportation. We got field artillery. Everyone was like individuals. And they're like, hey, we're going to change training. We're going to change our uniform. And I'm in this think tank. I'm like, guys, like, it's, it has nothing to do with the uniforms and how you train. I mean, we already train well. It's it's our mindset. I said, we had a NCO crew. We got a special forces crew. We got a ranger crew. We don't have a soldier's crew. And literally, I wrote it on a napkin, and we had guidance. So the the four basic elements of the of the soldier's creed was given to us by the chief of staff, of the army, and then we basically the rest of it was based on my experience at CEP and using positive affirmations and, and so forth. Wrote it on, and you know, in the next month, it was published, two thousand four. Wow, that's incredible. I uh, that was every night at the prep school. So thank you. Joe, I, I recited that every night. We yelled it outside as we drank water next to our doors in our PTs. Uh, yeah. Every night we had a uh, we had a prior service um, platoon sergeant, uh, cadet platoon sergeant, right? Uh, Cal, who was a cadet sergeant, who's a prior service guy, um, and he loved the Soldier Creed, and we said it, we yelled it, we screamed it every single night for three weeks. 
Um, and it's it, like you said, it is it's a bunch of positive reinforcements, it's a positive affirmations um, that go in there. And it, it's so much so that um, as I was leaving Fort Campbell, uh, we start singing, uh, we start saying the Soldier's Creed daily. Uh, General yeah. McGee um, uh, loves it that much. So um, it's an interesting how um, when the Soldier Creed would publish and why and, and how it, it became a thing. Um, because like you said, a lot of, you know, we were talking with it. Uh, we were talking to um, Jason Fraser about this the other day, about how the, the culture and the mindset can completely change uh, an organization. You don't change anything else. You just change that culture um, and, and for the better and, and just how the positive impacts and, and what you can see in the future happens. It's just, that's, I did not know that you were a part of the soldier's degree. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And we learned that from football, you know, our, our, you know, the army football culture, the brotherhood and, and how we respect each other, how we believe, how we fight together, you know, that the, you know, togetherness, you know, all that stuff. We know what right looks like, and you try to take that in every organization you're a part of. Yep, a hundred percent. Could not agree more. Amazing, Joe. Uh, any other like major uh, army events you were involved in, or anything like that that you that you could share with us? Uh, you know, you had some you had some pr pretty good stories. Um, also, um, we want to bring up um the army prep connection, right? You were you were uh, were you there over the weekend? Your your son your son's at army prep right now, right? Yeah, so my uh, son's a prepster, and uh, right now he's playing slot back for the football team. And uh, they they don't uh, they started school this week. So last week they finished. Last week was reorderly week. They finished basic, and uh, they did some workouts. Uh, but I asked him if he knew the Soldier's Creed, and I think, do you know who wrote that? He's like, no. I said, and he's like, oh, <laughs> you're killing me, Dad. <laughs> So anyway, uh, they start practice next week, and uh, he's he's loving it. He had a big smile on his face and really enjoying it, and he's excited to be part of the brotherhood. Nice. That's it. That's that's incredible. That's uh, man, talk about full circle. It's just too bad uh, he isn't enjoying the the Jersey Shore like we did down at uh, Fort Myers. Oh, <laughs> probably, probably, <laughs> probably a little better that he's he's up at West Point for as a father. You know, as as I have sons, I'm like, all right, yeah, it's a good thing they're there. Yeah. They're definitely more focused at West Point. <laughs> uh, but no, mother stories in the Army, I mean, I was very lucky, uh, like, well, not lucky, but, you know, I deployed to Kosovo, which was supposed to be a peacekeeping mission, and it was about two years into it, and it was right before 9-11. And, um, you know, we had the chicken leg area, and there was just a lot of crime, a lot of, a lot of uh, bad stuff that was going on, and we ended up chasing Osama bin Laden, and this is before 9-11. We got we caught two guys on the top CA on a list. Uh, we ended up detaining 400 insurgents. And um, we were in a firefight right before, like a week before 9-11 that most people don't know about. Um, so we were very, very proud of that that experience. We thought we were going to be the first unit to go in Afghanistan because we were probably the we were the best trained, most ready. But at the time, we were deployed for seven months, and they decided they wanted to send a fresher unit in. But I'm very proud of that unit, you know, from the 101st. You know, we had 25 Rangers in our, our unit, and we just kicked butt. And it goes back to um, what we learned in our football. So when we trained, you know, part of that training was I, I had the Dirty Dozen, a part of that training. You know, you had four days of interdict mission, four days of security mission, like secure the town, um, and four days of um, – like four days interdict security. And I, I forget the other four days, but it was like, you know, your weapons, clean your weapons and everything. And you rotate. So everyone got one day off every 12 days. Right. And the squad leaders and everyone had to, to work it. And we trained on that. And we wanted to keep our energy through the whole deployment. And I remember like a month and a half into it, you know, my leadership's like, hey, Joe, you guys aren't pushing hard enough. You guys aren't catching enough. You know, these other units are doing well. So I go back to my unit and say, hey, sir, the, or hey, guys, they, they want us to, you know, scratch our plan, the Dirty Dozen, and uh, to a man, to a lieutenant, to a platoon sergeant. They all came back at me at once. Sir, we've been training this. You know, you told us this is going to give our energy, you know, our attention and our, our focus and our confidence. 
you know, we're, we're going around taking pictures of, you know, different things so we can, you know, practice our imagery before we raid a home because we're just going to scratch all our training. And I'm like, nope, we're going to stick our plan. I went back to my my boss. I said, sir, we're sticking with our plan. We're not changing. Captain Ross, Captain Ross. I said, sir, we're sticking with it. You better do something. You better get better. Yes, sir. Within the next two weeks, those other seven companies hit a wall. They hit a wall. They are having anarchy. They're fighting. They, they couldn't do anything. And our company, yeah. and, you know, like I said, the whole battalion or the whole brigade only detained uh, 500 insurgents. And we detained 400, 400 of them. Wow. And we were just, we were a machine. Like yeah. those soldiers what, were incredible. What, uh, what company, battalion, brigade? Uh, I was, was Bravo, 2nd of the 502nd. Renegades. Strike force. Strike. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow. You know, I I just came last year. I was in command of the Rockasan, so you know, you know, we we love strike. Well, Rockasan's almost good as strike. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of our um, one of our battalion commanders um, in the in the Rockasans, he was uh Colonel Stoltz. He immediately went to be the G three. Uh, the 82nd helped with the exfil out of Afghanistan, and now he's uh, he's pegged to be uh, second brigade strike, strike six. So, right. within two years, he's leaving third brigade as a battalion commander, and now he's become the second brigade commander. Um, right. so awesome, awesome, uh, individual, uh, and, and great, great leader. So, they're in good hands. Just know that your old your old brigade is in good hands. Is that so? Was Caslin your brigade commander during that time? Yeah. So uh, when I deployed, he wasn't. He got changed out, but he was the strike commander. Okay. And then uh, I think Powell was there uh, before him. Who else? Petraeus. I think all, all of them had kind of rotated through that. Wow. Yeah. And then, do you remember who was your battalion commander? Uh, Chris Reddish. Okay. I was just curious. And Roper, yeah. Roper was in my uh, sister battalion, the uh, Widowmakers. So he was okay. there as a company commander. Do you, um, is that who you called your battalion commander? You're like, sir, just give us, give us some time. Let it um, it, well, I was lucky because I was, um, my company was attached to third ID. Oh, okay. And I was, my company was put into the hottest area and I was the main effort. Uh, so when, so it was Colonel Reddish that, you know, called me and said, hey, you guys aren't doing this. And that was kind of my my buffer because I didn't have to report to him. I was reporting to a new brigade. And yeah. I was like, well, we're going to stick with my plan. And, you know, because I didn't have, I wasn't reporting directly to him at that time. Nice. Okay, cool. Just wow. just some great, just some great stories uh, from you, Joe. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, I got, got to get in a little bit of this too. I mean, we're, we're, we're podcasters, Steve and I, right? I have a little bit of a writing background, but you're the professional. There's a, a program that you go on that um, uh, reviews Army for our Army, basically Army football uh, fan show, so to speak. Uh, Crawl Dad's Countdown to Kickoff. Talk about that. I know you appear on that uh, every every once in a while. You appear on that as a guest, uh, as a host, actually, not a guest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crawl Dad's Countdown to Kickoff. Bill Crawford, Steve Pripe, Tom Economy. You know, they've been doing this show. We're just starting our 12th season this year. Um, they started before I, I got to Huntsville, but I think when I was coaching, I, I think I was one of their first guests. So, you know, kind of serendipity that I come around. Um, but they do a wonderful show tracking, tracking army football and, you know, talking to basically it's a, you know, pregame, you know, what's going on, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, you know, we do it on Wednesday nights, but it also it's on Facebook and I think it's streamed so you can watch it you know, at any time. It used to be, an hour before the kickoff and then we we moved it but now i think it's gonna be both but just a just a phenomenal fun gathering it started here in huntsville because there's 600 west point grads here in huntsville in this this tennessee valley area and uh bill crawford was able to make a deal with uh, espn radio in the area and got a um got a prime spot back in 2011 uh 10 time frame and they've been on ever since. So you got Alabama football and Army football. That's pretty much all they talk about. All, Auburn sneaks in every once in a while, but it's usually Alabama and Army, right, in this area. 
Yeah, and actually, right, the roles have been reversed where I've appeared on the Crawdads Countdown to Kickoff, and you've been asking me, you've asked me questions, right? So uh, oh, yeah. you you feel the, the the hard questions. You you, you you throw high and hard when you when you were asking me questions. You wanted to know, you know, stuff I, I knew, but I really couldn't reveal. Otherwise, my press pass would probably be taken away from me. So, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. You wanted to go in depth, and I wish I could at the time, but I'm like, they were threatening my press pass a couple of times just for, like, stuff that was just not even that 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 interesting, you know? And I'm like, okay, man, I'm going to give you, like, just the bland old uh, reporter's answer right there, Joe. And uh, I, I'm sure you probably would have had a couple follow-ups after those, but it's great, right? It's great to um, – connect with you here today we, we really thank you for all your time and like i said your support to the black knight nation podcast we're our youtube channel is growing with subscribers um our website um joe i don't know if you know this but our website has right now we kind of redid it in 2000 uh december 2020 we have in excess of over three million hits on our website uh black knight nation mm-hmm. since then so it's a two years um you know, pretty well received and we're, with your support, we're able to, we're able to keep this going. So we really appreciate that so much. Well, it's my honor. Uh, I absolutely love army football. I love um, everyone who's ever wore the helmet and I, I'm a firm believer. I don't care if you played in the 1910, 1930s, 1950s, 70s, 80s, not, until today. When you meet an army football player, we're the same. And, uh, like I, I've talked to Jody Glory, who's class, you know, '69, and you know those great teams back in the '60s, and I feel like I'm talking to my teammate. And uh, you know, I talked to Steve Anderson, I feel like I'm talking to my teammate. You know, Ray, Ray Stiff, to class of '06. You know, he works for me now. He's my uh, senior VP of HR. Roper works for me. Paul Andrzejewski, uh, class '94, he works for me. Donnie Horner, class '81, he he works uh, for higher echelon. And, so we, uh, Steve Spalding, another classmate, works for. Uh, so I get this little mafia of army football players um and then my business partner uh started out his career being recruited by army football but you know he got he uh he lost too much weight during beast and he ended up transitioning to uh lacrosse to be a strength coach so that that connection there is just yeah you you know you trust you know you're gonna get grit you know they're gonna uh be be loyal um you know they're gonna think outside the box and you know they're gonna fight to win you know whatever that looks like and um Sometimes in this in this business, it's very ambiguous. It's very complex. It's very uncertain. But you need guys that aren't going to quit, and they're going to keep fighting, and they're going to find a solution for you. And uh, we got a bunch of winners on our team that do do that for us every single day. Yeah, it's it's amazing how I mean I remember talking to you know you about and just finding out about the arm like Roper, you know. A higher echelon and, and the, the team of you basically have an army football uh, brotherhood there too so it's awesome uh thanks so much for the time we really appreciate it. we could we could probably talk to you forever joe about the stories uh we didn't really talk too much about the a little bit about your football career but your coaching coaching at west point too uh you that was a couple yeah uh, i'm very very thankful to coach ellerson you know he gave me a chance when you know a lot of coaches wouldn't give a guy like me a chance it helped that I was in CEP for five years and, and, you know, worked around the football team a lot. You know, I left for one year. and You know, Ellison didn't know me from Adam, uh, but he did take the chance to interview me. Um, I probably interviewed better on defense than I did offense because I, I had a conversation with Pat Work who, who uh, pooped me up before the interview, and I didn't do enough pooping up on the offensive side. Uh, but, you know, Ellison gave me a chance, and really it's changed my life because, you know, I had the opportunity to build the, the football simulator and, you know, that, you know, really led into what I do now and, uh, you know, taking CEP, taking the simulator and, you know, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm internally thankful to coach Ellerson just for giving me a chance. Have you um, connected with him at all? Um, coach I touched coach Ellerson in probably 10 years. Wow. Um, you know, I, I left and, uh, you know, he went on and, but I'd, I'd love to catch up with him. Yeah, yeah, Steve, you uh, were going to – I was going to say he got a chance to meet his favorite Army linebacker of all time when he got the coach yeah. there. So, of course – But didn't you start in 08? Uh, no, I was 07. 07 – well, 06 was my yeah, – At prep school, right? Yeah, 06, 06, 07 prep school, and then yeah. 07, 07 was my uh, my freshman year, 07, 08. Yeah. So, in 06, that's when I met you at prep school because I went and did those interviews with uh, yep. Coach Ross – 
would have us go uh, do player profiles on all the prepsters and all the incoming pleats. Oh, and it wasn't, we were uh, just talking, Joe. I didn't know you were doing a profile on me. Well, the reason the profile was to be able to coach you faster. He wanted Coach Ross wanted you to be able to accelerate their experience, and uh, he was able to do that through different tools and assessments that we were using. And so every incoming uh, plea, either from prep school or direct, had a player profile that we gave to the coaches and said, all right, here's the points you want to address and uh, hit on to get them to learn faster. Yeah, well, I never got mine. Okay, so if you could find that, that'd be great. I, oh, I, probably still, I still have it. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, yeah. I keep everything. Joe, Joe email that to me, man. I'd be interested to see what it, what it looked like. All right. All right. I'll shoot. I'll shoot. Uh, I'll get your number from uh, Sal, and I'll uh, I'll shoot you my number. We'll have to also. Uh, we'll have to get you on back and talk about Steve Steve's special teams play. Also, you know, Steve was talking about how he's on all the special teams even to his senior year. So we'll have to get you on maybe again to talk about specifically about Steve's special teams play. So oh, they're animals. Steve and Josh Benary led the way. I mean, they played as seniors on special teams. We were oh yeah thirty second on kickoff. We were ranked. Um, on putt defense, we were third in the nation. Like those two, we were awesome. What? What? Josh being on those teams. Yeah, one punt. Uh, Kent State. Uh, Jay Bulls. Me and Josh Bulls still talk about it to this day. That one punt, he got like a twenty-seven yard return on us, and we were we had two missed tackles. And Bulls always talk about it. He's like, there was that was our number one. That just kept oh. us from getting number one punt. Uh, well, we got punt. the win. We got to the bowl game. That's right. Yeah, that was when that was when we got the win and got got to celebrate in the locker room afterwards. So that's right. Blast. I was Great there at that game. I covered that game, and that's one of my, one of some of my best memories of Army football. That game and you guys being able to clinch that bowl berth, Steve, and to know that you know you and also Joe had a part of that is is, is pretty awesome. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna sign off now, but Joe, thanks so much again for coming on. This was great to hear all the stories, not only about the Army Football Brotherhood, but what you did after West Point and your impact on the Army, uh, the big Army, so to speak. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, of course, as sponsor, there's an open invitation to join the podcast anytime you want and and talk some more about, like you said, like Steve's uh, special teams prowess, or just maybe your thoughts on the program too, because I'm sure you have some thoughts on the program and where it's at where it's at right now. And uh, maybe we can get you back on soon. No, thank you, Sal. Thank you, Steve. I think coach Baltimore is doing a phenomenal job. He, he's that general leading the way and he's leading by example. You know, I, I love, I love his toughness. So uh, 100%. I'm, I'm a big fan. He's doing great. Thank awesome, you guys. Thanks for joining the Black Nation podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel for uh, um, archive. We just had on Jason Frazier, uh, Nate Hunterton, Greg Gadsden. We can run through the list, right, Stephen? We have a, some more coming up. And now we add Joe Ross. Thanks so much, Joe. And and we'll see you guys soon on, on the Black Knight Nation podcast. Thanks, Joe. All Talk right. soon. Yeah.